the tea health show your medical lifestyle podcast brought to you by the tea clinic Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show. And in today's show, we're talking about sleep. So I've invited Dr. Alison Bentley, a sleep specialist here from Johannesburg, um, to join us on the show. Alison, thank you for your time and welcome. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. I have, as usual, my cohort, Sister Elise, and our lovely producer, Simpiwe. Morning. Alison, I'm going to start off with one Simple question that mm. I don't know the answer to. What is sleep? Okay, so just, I mean, you just slam dunk right from the beginning. Is that yeah. where we're going? Left field. Okay, cool. <laughs> so if you look at the definition of sleep, they, they kind of, there's all kinds of definitions. But one, what's interesting one is like reversible coma. Okay, so that it's, 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 it's a kind of coma in that you're not responsive to your environment, um, but then it reverses. But when you actually look at sleep, it's a very specific, controlled, organized thing that happens every night. So our job is just to fall asleep. That's, that's all we have to do. And we have to take our mind out of the system and just let this big biology happen at night. Our brain is exhausted. Our body is exhausted. Melatonin is being produced. And so the whole body is designed to sleep. And then when we sleep, the brain does go through different sleep stages. So it's not just this blank kind of thing that's happening at night. We're not just resting. The brain is not resting. In fact, during REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep, the brain is working harder than it is during the day. Yes, absolutely. So, so the brain kind of does these, kind of goes into this stage of sleep and goes into that stage and then moves into this stage and then wakes up a bit and then goes. So it does, it kind of has this plan for the night. By the end of the night, what has happened in deep sleep, so in the first half of the night, as adults, all our growth hormone is produced then. And then from growth hormone, all, this, all the structures that go through the body. So for the rest of the night, um, growth factors, somatomedins, somatostatins, all of these good things that happen, go about the body repairing. So we don't, okay. hopefully we don't grow, maybe sideways, you know, as adults. Uh, but we don't grow. As children, <laughs> they grow. So, but it repairs. It repairs. So it services the car. Okay. That's okay. the kind of word language that that I'm using servicing the car then when we go into REM sleep it's a different thing so in REM sleep it's servicing the brain so the brain is cut off from the body so it doesn't hear it doesn't hear anything it doesn't notice any sensations coming from the body it's kind of cut off body's paralyzed actively paralyzed during REM sleep and then the brain but can, your eyes are moving rapidly eyes are moving but that's but the rest here. of the body paralyzed. and it's a really good idea because what it does is it frees the brain up to go wild. Ah. Like the brain can go wild, and that's our dreams, right? Okay. So we can dream anything we like. We can think anything we like. The brain can do what it's like. There are no consequences because we're paralyzed. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Okay. The paral- if you like me, sorry, I have, I, yeah. but I interject. If you like me, sometimes my dreams are so vivid mm. that I feel that I have to wake myself out of him. It's not that they nightmares. Mm. It's usually that I'm fighting with someone. Mm. Um, and you know what? When I wake up out of that, literally forcing myself to wake up, I continue with those thoughts. And you know what? I can, I can quickly go to the loo, come back, and then that bloody dream continues. Mm. So do you go back into REM sleep or do you go through all the – all the phases of sleep yeah. begin to go back into REM because that dream continues. Yeah. So REM sleep is the one that's very controlled. So it, it usually happens every 90 minutes throughout the night. You have a patch of REM sleep. 
The first patch is going to be quite short, five minutes, often very short. But as you go through the 90-minute cycles during the night, the amount of REM sleep that you have gets more and more. So you're much more likely to wake up from a dream in the early morning than you are in the mm. early evening, mm. right? So the early morning, that kind of time. And the there's so many different components to dreams. I mean, what you're describing is like the soap opera dream, you know, where you have ep- Monday's episode at 10 mm. o'clock and then you have Tuesday's episode at 11 o'clock and then it just goes and the same dream goes through the night. I mean, nightmares really come about because you get stuck and you need to escape. That's generally what a nightmare is. And the reason why is because your dream is going run, 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 and your body's going no, and so you get that stuck. So you're, you're unable to act out your dream. And that's okay. a really good thing. I mean, if, if, most people, if you think about the last dream that you had, like a really good thing you didn't act it out. And in fact, there's a... Yes, dis- because yeah. most of them I can fly. Yes. It would be bloody <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, but- yeah. So there's a, there's, a, there's a sleep disorder called REM behavior disorder. And it, it indicates, it shows us very clearly how REM sleep works and what the protections are that we have. So in REM sleep behavior disorder, it's an aging, a, a sleep disorder of aging. So usually elderly men in their 70s or above. I have seen patients younger than that, but that's kind of the age. And the specific nucleus in the brain, so a little group of cells in the brainstem that causes the paralysis of REM sleep ages. So just like Parkinson's and you know, yeah, like yeah, spots yeah. in the brain, like you have, and you don't know why. We don't know why, like why that spot. It ages. And so what happens is that paralysis of REM sleep like flicks on and off. So instead of being off, it flicks on and off. So generally, if I get an older man coming to my practice and they have a cut on their head or they have their arm up in a sling or something, I go, what happened? And they go, so in my dream, I was playing rugby, tackling a player, but it turned out I was tackling the chest of drawers. Okay. So what they do is they act out their dreams and what they're doing. So when you see somebody at, at night, you go, what the hell are they doing? Like they, they seem to be like doing this random thing. If you wake them up and ask them what they were doing, they were very clear about what they were doing. So the, the, what the actions make sense for the dream, but they just don't make sense in where In a wake state. Yes, in a wake state. Okay. Right. So that's, that's the REM sleep. Narcolepsy is the other disorder of REM sleep. So narcolepsy, we have sleep. So I'll just run through and you'll see how it's related to REM sleep. So we have sleep paralysis. So what that is. And other people can have sleep paralysis as well. So what that is, you wake up, wide awake, and you can't move. And you can't move, yeah. And you can't move. And you're just lying there and you can't move. And it's the longest 15 seconds of your life because then it just breaks and then you're okay. So sleep paralysis. You can have hallucinations. Basically, those are dreams. So most people wake up in the Hallucinations while you are sleeping? No, while you're awake. So you wake up. And you get that backflash into the dream. Like we're all used to that. Almost like a deja vu kind of thing. Yes, you kind of get that. But in this case, that dream continues to take place in front of you like a movie. But you're awake. But you're awake. You're very aware you're awake and you go, oh, what is this? Okay. So one of, and you can get that before you go to sleep as well. So one of my narcoleptic patients used to say she knew she was about to fall asleep because the Irish lady visited her. And I went, really? Who is this Irish lady? She says, I don't know. But it's a tall lady with long red hair and a green dress and green eyes. And so I've called her the Irish lady. So that was her. It was a very specific hallucination that used to happen most nights. But just before she fell asleep, because in narcolepsy, the control of REM is not there. So 
Before you carry on, mm. narcolepsy, just yeah. explain the term because as medical practitioners, mm. we know it. Sampiwi, do you know what narcolepsy no, is? Okay, mm. so the person yes. who, who has no medical background, yeah. what is narcolepsy? Okay. So it's a very specific disorder. I mean, a lot of people think that if you fall asleep during the day, you have narcolepsy, that that's what narcolepsy is. It's not. It's a very specific disorder. Now, we know it starts in young people which is also unusual for sleep disorders because they're usually older people. So between the ages of 15 and 35, so really young. What it is, is there's a, a, a chemical in the brain called orexin. And what orexin does is keep us awake for a long period of time, i.e. the whole day. And in these people, it seems that the, for some reason that these neurons get destroyed. So it may be like type 1 diabetes that all of a sudden – Everyone's fine, and all of a sudden, every cell that secretes insulin in your pancreas is gone. So it's like a late adult onset yes. diabetes. Yes, but an Not, early onset, okay. early onset diabetes, more like early onset diabetes. So for children. Yes, okay. for children. So it's more like that. So what happens is that the control, so now you don't have anything in your brain to keep you awake the whole day. So they do present with falling asleep during the day. It's 15 minute naps, they're very short, they're very refreshing. But then they present with these weird things, so sleep paralysis, hallucinations, and then something called cataplexy. Now, cataplexy, again, very specific to narcolepsy. If you have cataplexy, you have narcolepsy, like it's a done deal. Cataplexy is during the day they'd be, they'd be awake. And, then, and you know how you sit around and people are telling jokes or you're watching a movie and it's funny, and then there's that one joke, which is like really funny, right? If you have cataplexy, when you start laughing at that one joke, you're going to get Acute muscle weakness. Yeah. And that presents either that the jaw just goes, so they're mm -hmm. they can't talk, or they, their knees buckle. So it created that phrase of laughing till you're weak at the knees. Okay. Sure. That comes from <coughs> cataplexy. So that's a cataplexy thing. So it ranges from… So, so cataplexy is exactly the honest opposite of catatonic where yes. everything goes stiff yes this, everything exactly. goes weak exactly no. and it okay. and it looks like epilepsy so in some patients particularly young people when they have cataplexy they literally drop to the ground but they don't have the shaking of the okay. epilepsy does okay. that make so sense so they don't have a convulsion they don't have a convulsion but they're it's wide awake like an acute paralysis yes it's an acute paralysis they're wide awake and they just drop to the ground and how like long it, does that last then? very short i mean again 10 15 seconds and then they they can move again but they're often diagnosed with epilepsy because it looks like epilepsy oh, so you kind of shake them and they can't respond they're awake but they can't respond okay. and in young children particularly i've some children, I've got children who have cataplexy at eight, nine, ten years old. They're running in the playground and they just drop poof, you know, in the playground and they go, oh, epilepsy, it must be that epilepsy. little goats that you see when you scare them, they just drop over. Yes. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of – so a lot of the work on um, the, b the background of, of narcolepsy, like what is the pathogenesis, what's happening in the brain, has been done on dogs. Okay. Because there's a pack of dogs in Stanford that have narcolepsy that have been bred for narcolepsy. There's a, it's a really lovely story. They found one narcoleptic dog and then another narcoleptic dog. And so they bred them and they created this whole like pack so of narcoleptic what dogs. What you're saying is narcolepsy has a genetic component to it? No, it's not genetic. No. It's not genetic. So, so how do you breed dogs? You can breed them, but in humans, it's not really genetic. Okay. Yeah, but in dogs, it, it, dogs, it is. Okay. Yeah. So, next question. Yeah. I, I think you've answered 
most of it. Okay, but did mm. we go through all the stages? Now? No, we're not. We we're getting to the stages. So we got stuck later. in REM sleep because REM sleep is so cool. I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what happens during sleep? So is, we know that it's restorative. Yes, but that is but the main it's thing. Two parts: hey, restorative of the body, and then the brain. restorative of the brain. Yes. Okay, but there's other stuff that also happens. Uh, you spoke about um, all your growth hormones, your stat, yes. your your your. Uh, you're stimulating hormones um, that that start right from the top. But what happens with your immune system? Mm. What happens with your cardiovascular system? Mm. And why is this important? Okay. So – the, so let's let's talk about so different things in different systems. I think that's that's the important thing. So the restorative part of it, and and, and you're absolutely right, Sister Elise, is that in REM sleep it's restoring the brain. Okay, that's where the brain is restored. It's the brain can file memories, it can create new memories, it can uh, it can it can fl- there's a flushing out of the brain. So part of what melatonin does in the in the brain is during REM sleep, and this is quite new data last five years or so, where they've shown that actually the, in the cells, the cells actually separate so that there can be a flushing. Oh, so this is the washing out of amyloid to exactly prevent that. Parkinson's, yes. Alzheimer's. Yes. Okay, amyloid. Yes. Please, so the what servicing, is amyloid? So am, amyloid is a protein. So there's lots of things that are made in, in our body during the day. Yeah. And then part of the function of sleep is to get rid of all of that, like waste removal. Okay. 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 And okay. one of – and so the thing – so. One, a good thing that, that's accumulated during the day is something called adenosine. So I'm sure everyone's heard of ATP yeah. as, yes. a, as an energy source, right? Yeah. So that's adenosine but with adenosine three little phosphates. Adenosine is a, um, an amino acid. It's, an, it's, yeah, it's a nucleic acid. Yeah. yeah. So adenosine has three phosphates on it. That's the triple P, right? And then we use the phosphates for energy within the cells. So if you take one phosphate off, it becomes ADP. Two phosphates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take oh another God, phosphate. It's AMP. I know. Second year. <laughs> PTSD right, right there. Okay. Then it's AMP, one phosphate. If you take that phosphate away, you're left with A. Okay. And that adenosine just hangs around in the brain. Okay. As it builds up, that's what is one of our sleepy components. Okay. okay. So that buildup of adenosine during the day can't really be managed during the day, but it causes us to feel sleepy. When we feel sleepy, push. Get rid of it or add more peas on. Oh my word. Okay. So we get rid of adenosine, we get rid of amyloid, which and, and these kind of waste products that are being produced in the brain, we need to get rid of them at night. If we don't get rid of amyloid, then it starts to affect the function of the brain. Like memory. Most typically for Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh-huh. Mm. Okay. So mm. you can almost think of amyloid as a waste product that yes. but makes glue. Yeah. It's almost like Glue, it makes yeah. plaques. We we refer to amyloid yes. plaques. Yes. Um, and so that then causes. the cells doesn't separate if there's too much. Energy. Exactly. I, I presume so. And, I mean, I don't know that kind of detail, yeah. but, uh, but I always say to patients, it's like so the, the concept of what are the long term consequences of sleep and why do we sleep? If you interfere with sleep, however, shift work, massive shift work, if you have insomnia for many years, if you voluntarily sleep deprive yourself, if you have sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, any of the sleep disorders which either reduce the quantity or, or the, the quality. quality of your sleep. So either of those two things. What you're essentially doing is you're not servicing the car completely. Ooh. Okay, our job is to serve this car of the brain and the body. That's our mm. job. That's the job of sleep, servicing the car. Now, if you don't service your car, it breaks down faster. Yeah. And that's what happens here in the body. So if you don't service this car, it breaks down faster. And that means that 
the chronic diseases that we're trying to avoid happen sooner than they would normally happen. Okay. So it, you've answered my next question. Don't look at my notes. I'm not looking at um, notes. <laughs> I know what to say. That's all. That's um, <laughs> the next question is why do we need sleep? Mm. Um, we know that it repairs and restores. Mm. So systems that are absolutely dependent mm. on sleep is mm. most probably cognitive function. I would go pretty much everything. <laughs> but then... Acutely cognitive function, definitely. So the point about sleep is there are two components to the consequences. One is the next day, okay, the daily kind of consequence, and that okay. is feeling tired, feeling fatigued, knowing that you haven't serviced the car. Irritable. I mean, you have, you have an attention deficit, not necessarily the disorder, but an attention deficit. You can't focus, you can't concentrate. Mm. It's difficult to, to remember things, partly because you're too tired to take them in properly, you're not consolidating the memories properly at night and then you have less to recall because you just haven't – that process just exactly. hasn't happened okay. in more ways than just the, the sleep at so night. So basically your filing system is piling up in your inbox. Absolutely. It's absolutely doing that. You're not deleting okay. emails. You're not, you're not focusing. You're not able – if you're tired and you're trying to study, you only take in about 50%, right, <laughs> let's say. Because you can't, you can't focus properly. So you take in 50%. If you're not sleeping properly, you only consolidate 40%. You can only recall 20% of the total the next day. Yeah. Whereas if you're well-rested, you can get more in. If you're well-rested, you consolidate memories. I mean, sleep is massive for memories. There's a study from 1927, which would never get published now because they used two people. But, <laughs> but they, showed, they showed that if you learned something, right, and then you took a 30-minute nap or you didn't take a nap, that you remembered more after that 30-minute nap than if you didn't take the nap. That's 1920. We've known this information for nearly 100 years. Yeah. Like, why yeah. do we not use it? If, you, if you're studying, the better way to study is study, nap, study, nap, study, nap. Where were Instead you when I was in high school in varsity? <laughs> 1927. 1927. It's, it's a study that nobody sure. uses. Like, so, you know, it's crazy. Talk to us about cardiovascular right. health and the lack of sleep. Okay. So... What's really important, yeah, so if you and, – and a quality of sleep is almost, is almost more important than cardiovascular health. So there's no question that if you don't sleep, if you have insomnia or shift work, you don't get the quantity. You have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Why? Is it because of the – You're not servicing the car. Okay. You're not so, servicing the car and, and you're also – and if, you, if you're not sleeping, you're running high on adrenaline. Okay, so, so it's that very, cortisol, adrenaline. Mm, yeah. Ad, uh, yeah. So it's your pituitary yeah. um, adrenal sympathetic kind of system. So the sim uh, sympathetic system. Yeah. So the sympathetic system is okay. running a little high. It just needs to be running a little so high. So it's revving the car too it's, hard for too long. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's instead of switching off the car and letting the car rest, it's idling all the time. Okay. So one of the other no. ones that, and I think, you know what, we've been aware of cardiovascular issues mm. and sleep. Mm. But one that people do not know about is kidneys and sleep. Okay, where are you going with this? <laughs> so people who are going into chronic kidney disease. Okay, that, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just wondering you know, which topic. Um, it's, all it's important for us to sleep properly. One of the things that we see in our practice um, is so many people with declining mm. kidney function 
over time. And it's not only because of weight or, uh, mm, uh, you mm. know, what, lack uh, of exercise or diabetes and yeah. hypertension. Yeah. Um, you know, but these are fit, healthy, active people, um, normal weight, bad kidney function. Mm. Um, sleep contributing to a decline in kidney function? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, once you in once your kidney function is declining, then there's all kinds of sleep stuff that comes in because of often because they put they retaining water, and so they're more likely to have sleep apnea. They're more likely to have restless legs because of the urea creatinine imbalance. They're more likely to have insomnia. So, people who do have poor kidney function often have a lot of sleep disorders. So that that's true. But I'm not. A, I don't know about the impact of sleep disorders on normal kidney function, pushing it in that direction. But if you look at how sleep disorders cause an increase in all of these sleep disorders, it's because they increase the same. All of these disorders we now know come from systemic inflammation, right? And sleep apnea and insomnia and all that just push that a little bit faster. So they go through the same mechanisms. It's It's not a unique mechanism that sleep apnea is coming through. But, for example, sleep apnea at night, if you – and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that. But because you're having these surges in adrenaline happening at night, your heart – your heart – your blood pressure is higher than it should be. Your pulse rate is higher than it should be. And so the heart – I mean, the heart never rests. It never switches off. But at night, the blood pressure is supposed to drop. The pulse rate is supposed to drop. Like it kind of just ticks along at night. Mm. It's Mm. not supposed to be revving at night. Mm. Causes of sleep apnea. So let's talk about what sleep apnea is. Are you keen to do that? Can I, I or do you I, want to talk about something else first? I, I want to just finish up okay. off with sleep cool. before we get into the pathology. Yeah. So stages of sleep. We yeah. know that we have REM and non-REM sleep. Yes. Um, and I think you've explained well enough. Mm. But then we also have your different phases, phase one, phase two, phase yes. three, phase four. I always thought, um, you know, but memories were made in phase two. Now you're saying that they're made yeah. in, in, in REM sleep. Can you just run us through mm. the different phases of sleep and why they are so important okay. to, to, yeah. to actually follow the phases? Right. So... So there's now three stages of sleep. So there used to be four. There's now three. And they're stage one, N1, N2, and N3. So stage one is is really your entry into sleep. So it's often dozing off. So just as you're dozing off, most people who sleep properly have about one minute of stage one. Stephen. <laughs> go, go straight into stage two. So it's normal to hit the pillow and just be out. Depen- I hate <laughs> not, not, not so much. Like the normal onset of sleep is 10 to 15 minutes. That's okay. how long it usually takes people to fall asleep. Not 30 seconds. Okay. okay. But there are people who fall asleep like super quickly. Mm. Um, I'm not going to make any comments about them. Because <laughs> no, I, hate, I, I, I hate them as well. Yeah. So if, if, but honestly, if you have, if you're one of those people and I didn't, you know, you kind of go through life going, everyone is like me. And then you go, well, actually they're not. Okay. If you're one of those thinking people, and I don't mean that in a, in a, a condescending patronizing kind of way but there are people who have thoughts running through their heads all the time like an internal dialogue if you're one of those people i am and i know some people are if you it's very difficult to fall asleep mm. it's difficult to switch that off and go shush now sleep needs to happen okay but there are people who can switch it off like really quickly and go to sleep but some people can't. Mm. So I think it is important to understand not everybody can fall asleep in 30 seconds and it's not necessarily normal and everybody shouldn't be trying to do that because some people can't. I have to distract my head. 
So yes. for me, there's definitely two pieces of my head. I know there aren't really. I've done taught enough, enough neurophysiology to know that there isn't. But there's definitely two pieces. There's this body, which is very about sleep-related. Let's go to sleep. Melatonin is there. I'm exhausted. Let's go to sleep. And then there's my mind. And my mind can switch off that sleepiness just with one thought. Yes, okay. absolutely. And that is, oh, I haven't done that report. Yeah. <laughs> just that. Yes. Boom. And then I go, damn, no, I'm not going to sleep, right? Because yeah. it's gone. It's just gone. So I need to play solitaire on my iPad. I can't listen to anything. Noise, there's no, I can't fall asleep with noise. I have to play solitaire on my iPad because the numbers work for me. Mm-hmm. Just putting, I don't get competitive. I don't care if I pass the level. It's not important at all. Just play solitaire and that distracts my head enough. Then I can feel the sleepiness and I go, now I can fall asleep. Okay. So some people read, some people yeah. meditate. I can't meditate. No, at it's all. too noisy. It, I, 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 I sit there and I go, okay, let me meditate. <laughs> and then I'm like, squirrel. Okay, there's something else. To th- and I, I can't. So I, hear, I have patients who go and I meditate for an hour and I go, how do you do that? I, I cannot do yeah, that. So yeah. I have to be doing something. So my head has to be doing something, right? And so it used to be reading, but fiction, uh, no, I can read the whole night. I just so what I tell my patients, I, I also tell them, read. Yeah. But read an old storybook. Yes, yeah, so for us pathology Something, textbooks. <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah, that will put me to sleep. Exactly. Psychiatry textbooks it's will gotta, put me It's got to be something that you don't engage with. Exactly. But it distracts you. Yeah. Right. I, I tell them, I read Harry Potter. Okay. For one simple reason, I've seen all the movies, I've read the books 10 times, so nothing is new. Nothing is exciting. Nothing is new, so I yeah. know the story. Yeah. And that allows me to, exactly. to kill the voices in my head. Absolutely. We're not saying you're psychotic or schizophrenic exactly. or anything, but yes. But, and <laughs> you know what, that movement, and I, I never finish. Two, three pages. No, exactly. And then mm. I've fallen asleep. Yep. So I find it interesting that you s- said you play solitaire on your iPad yeah. when we know we should stay away from devices. Yeah. yeah. So, so is it what works for you as an individual? Yes. So I am on my iPad for 15 minutes. That's it. I'm not on for three hours. That The brightness is so low. That you can, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing about screens, so let's talk about screens. The whole point why we say don't be on screens is because you only produce melatonin in dim light. Yeah. Okay. So if you're on a screen, and the problem with screens now is the screens are here. In the old days, when I was young, the screens were over there on the other side of the lounge because mm. it was one TV screen and it was yonder. Okay. By the time the light got to you, it had decayed and there wasn't much light. And you also didn't watch TV in bright light because you couldn't see the screen. Yes, 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 yes. So there was dim light. Okay, then melatonin gets produced. Melatonin, once once melatonin is produced, about an hour and a half later, it starts to get produced. About an hour and a half later, it drops the body temperature. It's that dropping of the body temperature as it drops that makes you feel sleepy. So often people go and have a warm shower or warm bath. Yeah. Yeah, or drink milk, warm milk. Warm anything, but, but that warms coffee. up the body. And then, as it as your body cools ah, down, you feel okay. sleepy. Yes. Okay. So that's the principle but, behind but, that. But panado doesn't work. So just in case someone's listening and they go, "Oh, maybe I'll take a panado." No, it doesn't work. Not so, panado, but enough still pain does. No, but that's got codeine in it. Stopan, so let's not talk Stopan about Stopan that. For the right. babies. So the, the point about screens is, if you're on a screen, 
you don't produce melatonin. And particularly in young people, right? So it's particularly important in young people. You don't produce melatonin. Then you switch off the light, switch off the screen, switch off the light. Now you produce melatonin and you're going to feel sleepy an hour and a half later. Ah, and now Not you're going to get, I need to sleep, I need to sleep, which leads to further anxiety around Absolutely, sleep. Absolutely, okay. right. So your melatonin needs to be produced about an hour and a half before you go to bed. Now, for me, at the ripe old age of 65, I don't have any melatonin left. Okay. We, yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. that later. I don't really have me much melatonin left. So, And I'm not on screens for three hours before I go to sleep. So my, my melatonin, whatever it is, has already been produced. It's already dropping. All I need is this little distraction. So it's 10, 15 minutes. So it's not interfering with my melatonin production because that's already been and done. Okay. So okay. good idea is, mm. you know what, if you're going to watch TV – Switch of the lights yeah. around you off. Yeah. Maybe get uh, one of these red salt lamps so you have some… Some light. Some, yep. some little bit it's of dim red light. light. It's dim light. It's not pitch black. So it's dim light. Just dim the lights okay. so that there is a clear indication to the brain right night is happening. Okay. okay. Because we can now obliterate night. We really can. If we put on enough lights, it's not light, night anymore. So there needs to be this indication of the brain night is happening. If you're going to use a screen, a phone, an iPad or something like that, just look at the brightness. I mean, there's a brightness thing. You can turn it down to half before you even notice that there's a change in the brightness of the screen. That's how much light it's emitting. And the point is that it's about the, it's about the lux. It's about the Im amount, intensity of light that's coming out, not just that it's light. So you can turn that down to honestly a quarter of the light and still see what's happening. You may not be able to see a dark movie, right? But, but then it's a dark movie. You can put up the light a bit so that you can see it. But turn down the screens. Turn down the, the – every device now has a night screen. Night mode, yeah. So you can switch over onto night mode where it gives you a black background with white writing. And, yes, the white is there, but the lux is lower. Okay, yeah, so it's about lower. much lower. Okay. And so you stand less chance of interfering with melatonin. Okay. So I don't want this to run out of time. So quickly run through those um, phases of sleep. So you have stage okay, one. Stage one, which is this very light sleep. Stage two is kind of, it's the, the workhorse of sleep. So you're definitely asleep. There's definitely clear indications that you're in stage two. There's thing called spindles and K-complexes. And those of us who look at, these channels all the time go, that's stage two. Right? So it's very simple to see. Then stage three is the slow wave sleep, which is big, big slow waves in the, in the brain. And that's the big restorative sleep. So it's de very deep sleep. It happens in the early part of the night. And that is the growth hormone physically restorative sleep. Okay. So what it seems to be is that you go into stage two and then we're not sure of the function of stage two, except that it prepares the brain for these big two stages. The stage three. So I'm back doing full overnight polysomnograms again and watching sleep stages and lasted it 20 years ago, quite honestly, when I was was in the Morningside Sleep Lab. And, and even then I could look at stage two and go, they're going into REM sleep. I can see they're going in, right? And it's almost like the brain kind of just in stage two kind of goes, let's get ready, right, REM sleep. Okay, because we know if you do anything to stage two, you put leg movements in there, you put sleep apnea in there, that the brain just can't get into these big stages. Okay, it's much harder because it doesn't have the stable stage two sleep. So, and when we look at the stages over the night, uh, if if you look at the night, both REM and the stage, the slow wave sleep in three, 
both of those should constitute about 20% of the night. And the rest, 60% is stage two. It's a lot. So we kind of go like, what does stage two do? Like, because it's 60% of the night. I I, uh, watch uh, Dr. Michael Mosley. I, I don't know if you if you know about him. Mm. He uh, they did a very big study in the UK around sleep. Mm. Um, the program was on Netflix and it's available on, on uh, YouTube. Um, how to sleep well, and you know what? What one of the things that I, I took out of this program was the formation of memory happens in stage two, mm. um, and people with cognitive decline and cognitive mm. disorders and ADHD often have disturbed stage twos. And that brings us to mm. my next question. Mm. So I would qualify that and say memory happens in every stage of sleep. It's different memories. Ah. Okay. What do you mean different Different memories? types of memories. So, for example, when you start driving a car, mm-hmm. it's like, um, how do I do all of this with like feet and yes. indicators and stuff like that? But after a while, it's a memory. And you just do it. Okay. You don't think about doing it. It becomes automatic. Every sport that you do, ballet, every – so there are motor memories. Those are motor memories. We don't need people to tell us how to brush our hair, how to brush our teeth. It's just a motor memory. We just kind of do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's motor memories. Then there's what we call declarative memories where you learn stuff, learn telephone numbers, learn, study, do – those are different types of memories. Okay, so those motor memories are being processed in a different type. They have to be processed in a different way to these other memories. Does that make sense? So there's all kinds of different memories that we have. And so they, they, they are, there is evidence that, you know, the motor memories might be processed in stage three, whereas declarative memories might be in stage two. Um, and REM might be different memories completely. Okay, so and there's then there's then there's short term memories and there's hardwiring of memories and there's when do we forget? Like w- during sleep, is that when we also forget? Because we can't remember everything. Mm-hmm. Like we do forget. So yeah. what happens? Where does forgetting happen? Okay, like That's when? Such an interesting question. When I've does, never thought about yeah, that. Yeah, when does that happen? Because what you know, if you look at REM sleep and dreams, like your theories of dreams range from Freud to the very biological people who go, "That's just like a filing system." So it's defragging your computer. That's all it is, right? What you what you think about is just because you're pulling out memory banks and going, "Oh, well, this memory fits in there, and we need to take this out and organize that and attach this there, and but it also needs to be linked to that, that, that." So there's like a network that's happening at night. It's just this very computer network that's happening at night and the dreams mean nothing it's just like what your brain picks on that night okay so those at rain that that's the kind of range but if it's pulling out memory banks it's entirely possible the brain goes oh we don't need to remember this chuck it out okay mm. and it's gone or else it's hidden somewhere that it can come back if the circumstances are right or because it, we do have situations as adults where we go into situations and you go oh my gosh i, I do remember that that's like a when I was eight, like I remember that, and but it wasn't a, a using you weren't using that memory. No, you know it was I mean? a random piece of. It was a random piece of information hidden very, very deep in your brain. So almost, you know, but but yeah, when do we forget? Because forget you do have to forget. I mean, there's a pathology, you know, of people who never forget a thing. 
Um, and it's extremely it's destructive to them. D- people with didactic memories, yes. which is uh, horrible. Yes, it's, um, they never forget a yeah. single thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a pathology. They can, they can tell you what they've done on a certain – if you on ask them, what did you do at February, that time 2015, on they, they will they know They can exactly tell you exactly. It's a curse. It's a, it, Exactly. It's so a it's, it's a pathology. And so we do forget, and it's important that we forget. Um, but do we forget during sleep? I don't know. But it's possible. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so sleep disorders. Mm. Different ones. Yeah. Earlier this morning I asked you, is every sleep disorder, if I can't sleep, is it insomnia? And you said to me, yes. Mm. Okay. So what are the different sleep disorders? So the three big groups. And the reason is the three, there's three big groups. One is insomnia, and that is about too little quantity of sleep, just generally, right? Then you have the hypersomnias, and that is too poor quality of sleep. Hypersomnia. Hypersomnia is excessive is sleepiness. Snoring ah, would interfere so, with the, the, yes. the sleep. So hypersomnia okay. is when I'm tired and sleepy so sleep, the whole day. So if I'm so put in sleep, a quiet room yeah. and I fall asleep or I fall yes. asleep in a conversation, you have hypersomnia. Yeah. Generally, it's I get enough hours, so I get seven hours, but I wake up feeling exhausted and I'm exhausted the whole day. So whatever happened during those seven hours was not enough to make me so feel functional So it's the quality the of sleep, it's not the quantity. quantity of sleep. Okay. And the last group are the parasomnias, and that is weird things that happen in the middle of the night. So sleepwalking, sleep talking, sleep eating. Sleep terrors. All of that. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. All of that. So which ones are the most common ones? I, I find in my practice more of a hypersomnia than the insomnia. Yeah. So – it's difficult to know because we don't have data for South Africa. But but around the world, yes, probably sleep apnea is 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 more common than insomnia is. I mean, we used to think of it the other way around, that insomnia was much more common. But if you look at, at chronic insomnia, so we're looking at people who have insomnia as a disorder, not just um, I've got an exam tomorrow and I can't sleep tonight, um, that it's a 10 to 15 percent of the population. The, there was a modeling study done for sleep apnea on all the countries of the world. I mean, don't ask me about the details. Modeling is a bit beyond me. Um, and they, they must have looked at, at BMIs and hypertension and all of those kind of things that we associate with sleep apnea. And they predicted that the prevalence of sleep apnea in the ages 39 to 69, I think it was, that kind of age group, in South Africa, moderate to severe apnea was 23%. That's huge. It's and huge. It's, it's not something sure. that is being addressed and it's something that oh, people not do all. not know about. No. Okay. Alison, um, now we get to Cecilie's. Um, what is what is obstructive sleep breathing yes. and snoring yeah. and apnea? What's the differences and how do they relate to okay. one another? I think what's, what's really important is just to, to say that right up front – Obstructive sleep apnea is not that you stop breathing at night because that's quite sinister, right? Because when you go to sleep, you just trust your brain to keep you alive. I mean, let's be honest. It's quite a, it's quite a trust thing that we do. We fall asleep and go, just keep me alive till tomorrow morning, please. Um, and that sense that you might stop breathing during the night is, is quite scary. Yeah, it's frightful. Yeah, it's not, that's not what sleep apnea is. What sleep apnea is is you stop moving air. You don't stop breathing. Right. So it's very similar to so having… it's basically a kind of choking. It You're is trying a choking. to breathe, but yes. the air is not yes. flowing Yes, so the brain is trying the to breathe. The brain is trying to breathe. It's so just not able to move the, the air. the happening. Absolutely. But it doesn't Absolutely. So I, when I explained it to patients, I said it's similar to having a hose pipe on a tap and you have water pressure, you switch on the tap, everything's working there, but somebody's standing on the hose at the end. 
Okay. Okay. So the whole system is working. There's just a, 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 a fault that's happening at some point. So apnea is obstruction. Basically. Yes. So it happens at the back of, of the throat and so does snoring. So snoring and sleep apnea are all related. I call snoring the entry drug to apnea. Okay. So it's most people, the vast majority of people who have apnea start with snoring. Okay. What snoring indicates is that there's a partial obstruction to the air that's moving through from the nose into the lungs. There's a partial obstruction. So the air is moving, but there's something in the way. So very similar to switching on a tap and you get this nice smooth column of water and if you just put your finger in very slightly, you get this turbulent air, turbulent water underneath. Mm. It foams and it gets very busy. So the same thing happens. So it can be as simple as a deviated septum. So if in the nose, if you broke your nose and the septum is slightly skew, what it means is that there's less air coming down one side than the other side of your nose. And it creates turbulent air, which, which the makes back, noise. Yeah, when it gets to the back, you have a bit of a tornado happening, yeah. right? So swirls around and sitting right there is your uvula and that's your little baby tongue at the back of your throat. Now the whole point of the uvula and the soft palate is to close off your nose when you swallow so food doesn't go up your nose and to create your speech, to create the vibration in your speech, the mmms and the mmms and those kind of things. That's its job. But it's at night, it's sitting there minding its own business, doing nothing and this turbulent air comes past and starts vibrating. And it starts vibrating, and then if you open your mouth slightly, you create a, a sound box. And you'd like any vuvuzela, any wind instrument, like that's what, you, what you've created. So you've created a vibrating air source, a bit of a sound box, and then you have... That's what snoring is. So it's an indication of that. No, but that's exactly what Stefan sounds like <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> right. So that's snoring. That's what snoring. I mean, you literally can't do it with your mouth closed. <laughs> You just can't make that noise the same way if your mouth is closed. So that's what snoring is. But when you are snoring, so the thing is, ach, it's just snoring. When you're snoring, you are sucking harder to breathe in past that obstruction. The minute air is turbulent, you have to suck harder to move it because mm. it's harder to move. And so you're sucking slightly harder. And then at the back of the throat, you do have the only part of the airway which is not rigid, which is not held, either held in bone in the nose or in cartilage below the larynx. You'd have this little bit here in the middle, which is designed to close every time you swallow, okay, because that's what swallowing is. When you swallow, you have the palate, closes off the nose. You have a little thing called the epiglottis down the bottom, closes off the lungs. So you get this two flaps, close off, and then the tongue goes, push. There's only one way for the food to go, and that is down into your stomach. So the system is designed to close, but shouldn't close when you breathe in. But if you breathe suck hard enough or you close off the system because you've put on weight, so you like narrow down the airway, or you lie on your back and your jaw moves backwards and your tongue moves backwards into the space, the physics just doesn't work. And then you suck hard enough and you induce the Venturi effect. Do you remember that from second year, Dr. Mark? It's how you aerate wine. You create the Venturi effect, which says if you suck hard enough through a narrow pipe, yeah. the pressure drops. Yeah. And then that palate at the top closes or the tongue closes, something yeah. closes. Yeah. And so the airway just closes and now you're in trouble because it's closed. The chest, as you said, Cecilies, is trying to breathe. So if you watch somebody who's having an apnea, they're snoring. I've do done this on national TV. I can do it on your podcast. Good snoring. And then you often hear like that. Yeah. And then it's quiet. Yeah. Dead quiet. Okay. And for... 10, 15, 40 seconds, and then, and then you, you go, <gasps> yeah. that. 
So that silence is where it's closed and there's no movement. But during that silence, if you watch the chest, the chest is trying to breathe. Absolutely. Okay, that movement is happening. And that's why we know it's not that you stop breathing at night because the brain is desperately trying to breathe. But actually the only way that you can uh, go, um, prevent that closure or stop that closure is to wake up. And this is what why I wanted us to do the cycles of sleep. Mm before we spoke about apnea, because um, I always tell people, your brain's really not involved in breathing. But mm. for you to do that <gasps> gasp, mm. you need to wake up. So suddenly the brain needs to send a signal yeah. and say, okay, move. But it's, no, it's not the chest movement. So it's, it's these muscles in the throat. So we have muscles that hold the throat open. They're pretty useless, actually, in the scheme of things holds them open, but they relax during sleep as well. And so they're much more likely to collapse. Then if you're getting older, like me, um, if you've got wrinkles on the outside, you've got wrinkles on the inside as well, right? And so that area of the throat is not as, as firm and tight as it used mm, to be. It's, mm. got, it's wrinkly. If you put on weight, if you've got a bit of a blocked nose, it, it's, it's, as you breathe in, it's just going to close off on you. And then to open, to get those dilator muscles to open, you literally have to wake up. And those muscles kick out and you, your throat opens and you, and you can breathe. But with that, so when that happens, there are two consequences to that. One is if you don't move any air, the amount of oxygen in your blood is going to go down. Yes. Just drifts downwards, right? Sometimes dramatically. Dramatically, what is what is a normal drop in oxygen saturation during sleep? Maybe so we measure a couple of percent. Yeah. So we log it when it's four percent. So, so if then you drop it by becomes 4%, a then, yeah, then we go. Then that's important. A problem. That's important. Okay, and, and look, I've seen on some of the reports that you've yeah. sent me patients that oh, drop from ninety down to seventy. Absolutely, in so, thirty seconds. You know, and just to let the people know that we started admitting patients to hospital in COVID mm. if their saturation dropped below ninety percent. So mm. can you imagine what happens when you drop down to sixty-five? Mm. Okay. But, it's, but it's different. And, and and so people do get very worried about the numbers. When I said your oxygen drops to 17, they go, oh, am I going to die like in COVID? No. I go, whoa, no, wait, wait. No. When when it dropped in COVID, the whole thing dropped. Right? Everything dropped. So the baseline dropped. And that was important. In sleep apnea, you sit at 90, you have an apnea, you drop to 65. When you wake up, poop, back to 90. Yeah. So it creates this kind of comb effect. So you drop and you come down, drop and come down, drop and come down, drop and come down. But so there is that drop, but it, it restores as soon as you get woken up, it restores back to 90%. So that so there isn't the same implications as we had with, but with COVID. But that cannot be healthy. It's not you. healthy. It definitely isn't healthy. But it's it's not healthy in combination with the wake up. So the wake up, when you wake up, you, your brain doesn't wake you up. It's not a, an inconsequential event. The brain wakes you up, but it's kind of screaming at you, so right? Wake up! release cortisol and adrenaline. Absolutely. So when you have that wake up, your pulse rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, shoots up. Pulse rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, um, the whole kind of flow of uh, adrenaline throughout the body. Um, and, and what's interesting is that blood pressure and the pulse rate go up. So when that happens, the heart is pumping harder, right? So the heart goes, what happened? What's happening? What's happening? It's pumping much harder at the very point at which that oxygen is the lowest. Ah. Right. So within the heart muscle, it's pumping harder with less oxygen. So, That's not good. 
Okay, so basically so strain you're inducing on the heart. almost kind of an angina picture where there's yes, too little oxygen exactly. in, in the e cardiac muscle. E exactly, and oh. that's, that's where we believe a lot of the relationship between arrhythmias and sleep apnea comes from. So that situation where you have low oxygen in the heart and the heart is pumping harder is possibly where atrial fibrillation may come from because we know there's a very close relationship between sleep apnea and atrial fibrillation. Okay. So that's, so that's not good. That's not so a good situation. This is also where the effect on weight comes from because that adrenal response, yep. you're going to push uh, glucose um, into the bloodstream. It's exactly the same the response mm. as walking around the corner and you see someone, yes. uh, you know, it, that's, that's the first phase of, mm. a, of a stress response. Yes. Cortisol happens when that continues. So yeah. do you elevate cortisol during all of this as well the whole time? You, usually. I mean, okay. I think Which the shouldn't thing, be high at yeah, night time. No, it it should be, be at its lowest. It should be. So I think, the, but the important thing about apnea is that it's not just an isolated event. Like it's not one apnea that you have. You have hundreds of these at night. So moderate sleep apnea, if we pick moderate sleep apnea, is, is 15 to 30 events per hour of sleep, right? So, so let's that's, pick, that's let's pick, one every two minutes. Well, let's pick 20, okay, because that's an easy number to work with. Let's pick 20. So 20 apneas per hour. If you sleep for seven hours, that's 140 times that that happened at night. Yeah. Now that's starting to have significant consequences. Up to five is normal. We don't really worry about that. Mild, we kind of go, yes, it's there. You should do something about it. But it's not – it's at that level, up to 15, we don't have data to say that it has these long-term consequences. But once you get over 20 – and, I mean, you've seen my reports. We get 70 per hour, yeah, 60 yeah, yeah. per hour. Like tw 20 is not high by any means. So severe is 30, but I kind of like every day I'm writing – yesterday I wrote a report for 110 per yeah. hour of sleep, right? So this is happening many, many times at night. And so this increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure is happening often, often, often mm. at night. So if it, it, and that creates the symptoms. So the symptoms of apnea, for example, can be headaches at night. So if you wake up with a headache, that's a really good sign you may have sleep apnea. And that's because your blood, that increase in blood pressure is hitting those vessels in your head like a hammer. Boom, boom, boom. And the vessels in your head are hurting. They are literally hurting from being hammered. Mm. But you mentioned the, the weight thing. The relationship between sleep apnea and weight is really interesting because certainly if you put on weight, particularly in men, because they put on weight around the neck, neck, narrows down that airway, you're much more likely to have apnea. But then once you have apnea, you're much more likely to carry on putting on weight for a very simple reason that you wake up tired. So 140 times you get woken up at so night, I'm you're going to wake up tired. So you're going to eat. You're going to calorie hunt to get energy. You're also going to do much less exercise. And we're not talking about three hours in the gym per week. We're talking about 16 hours a day walking and moving. You don't do that. Okay. So you do less exercise, you eat more, you put on weight. But also, what we also know is if, if you have sleep apnea, diet and exercise don't give you the results that you expect. Yes, Because absolutely. actually the whole metabolic landscape in the background has been changed. There's a whole 25-page paper written on the adipose cell during sleep apnea, everything's changed. You're not dealing with a cell that you predict you're dealing with. You know, you kind of go, oh, you cut, cut fats and you cut carbohydrates and you exercise and you likely lose weight. You, you have an, a, a, a whole fat system in the body that's operating on, you know, instant reserves because it's being hammered the whole night through. 
Insulin changes, glucagon changes, ghrelin changes, leptin changes, all of these hormones that are involved in fat and fat metabolism have changed. And so you kind of you're not you're not playing the game like you don't know what game you're playing. If we treat sleep apnea with CPAP, so we take away the apnea completely, then diet and exercise works because you've taken away all of that background stuff that's going on. Okay. That's massive. Sissy Leaves, question. I have a question, mm. and I've experienced this myself, is where I, I can, and I always can fall asleep instantly, like if my head hits the pillow, I'm gone. But then I've experienced that I'm really comatose, and mm. I can't remember that I slept. Mm. What, what's that? Oh, most of us can't remember when we've slept. Yeah, but so. that... As if I close my eyes now and I opened it now again. Mm -hmm. That's a good sleep. Okay. That's that's honestly that's a normal well, sleep. That's how you judge a good sleep. No, that's that's a normal sleep. I mean, that's how sleep happens. So you know, I used to, when I, I used to do talks and it's so here's how sleep happens. This is the last thing you see, and mm -hmm. it said twenty two hundred, like an alarm clock, twenty two dash, and this is the next thing you see, oh six hundred. Yeah. Like and, you, and so most of us don't remember our sleep, mm. and in fact, patients with insomnia who go, I never slept the whole night. I go, you did. Okay, and I tell you why. Because you don't remember the bits that you sleep. You only remember the bits you're awake, and so okay, you put all the wake bits together, and you go, "I didn't sleep." Mm -hmm. Okay, because you don't remember falling asleep. You might remember waking up. So I say to patients with insomnia, "Did you ever feel like during the night, like I think I just woke up, like there was that sudden what happened, like I missed a bit?" And they went, "Yeah, but I'm sure it was only ten minutes." I go, "You don't know." Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, there are very know, few people who know they're sleeping. There are some people who know that they are sleeping, just as there are people who know that they are dreaming. Yeah. In the dream, they know that they yeah. are dreaming, and they can they can influence the course of yes, the dream. Yes, absolutely. Is that good or bad? Well, it's a few people. So so there's there, there's some so pe people assume everyone can power nap. No, they can't. No. Like maybe ten fifteen percent of the population to, can power nap. To learn, well, you can other people who go to the army. Learn it because they have yeah. to. Right? We, I, I, I used to be able <laughs> to power nap. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I used to power nap on in theater while we changing patients. You you consider I have never. I've never been able to power nap ever. I've never been able to nap in my life. I cannot nap again. This this head. You know. I no. I can't nap. I lie there for half an hour and I think I nap for five minutes and I wake up feeling awful and I go. Yes. Well, that's two hours of my life I just lost <laughs> for yeah. no benefit whatsoever. So, Alison, I want to ask you, sleep aids and, and you know yeah. what? Many of them. So we have. Your over-the-counter stuff. We so have insomnia kind of medication aids. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, no, no, again, there's so many aids for snoring. <laughs> I was so, just asking which topic. <laughs> no, I, you know what? We we unfortunately <laughs> running out of time yes, very quickly. So yeah. I will get you back. Okay. Because at some point we need to talk about treatment. But I think there's such a misnomer and confusion, not only amongst um our public, but amongst medical practitioners mm. about the use of sleep aids. And yes. again, this can be herbal, yeah. which you get at your health shop or uh, at a retail pharmacy. It can mm. be prescription. Mm. It can be something that you're growing in your own garden and smoking mm -hmm. or sniffing or whatever. Or whatever. Mm. So prescription and non-prescription sleep medication. Mm. Yay or nay? Simple yay or nay? So... Versus not sleeping. 
you and I share this. You and I share the same, no, so same that, thing. So that's the bottom so, line. So that's the bottom line. If, you, if you're not sleeping. So the important thing to understand is all of the sleep aids, whether they're herbal, whether they're prescription meds, whatever they are, are not a cure for insomnia. <laughs> they're not a cure. They're just treating it, right? But the consequences to not sleeping can be life-threatening. Yeah, absolutely. By day, by day. Okay. So people who are not sleeping... If they're falling asleep on the highway at five o'clock in the afternoon, that is life-threatening for them and everyone they're driving with. Okay. So they're also not functional. They're also depressed. They're also anxious. And versus that, versus what we know that if you do not treat insomnia, there are consequences. Many immune function consequences. There are cardiovascular consequences. There are emotional depression. I mean, we know that if you have insomnia that's untreated for a, for a year, that you you have a forty times increased risk of depression. Well, you know what? For me, you know, so it's it's about daily function, but it's also yeah. about long term consequences. Yeah. So you literally are safer on a medication to sleep than you are not sleeping. Yeah, I I think you know what I I've been battling with insomnia for twenty eight years. You just haven't and come to see me. That's really why you've only been battling. <laughs> I, 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 and I tell my patients, you know what, for the past 28 years, yes. I've been taking the same sleeping tablet yeah. at the same dose, yeah. and it still works. Mm. So, you know what, I am anxious if I don't have it. Sure. Um, that's, the, that's, the, that's the basis of insomnia. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm anxious mm. about sleep mm. and people don't understand it, especially my partner, because mm. he's just one of these people that never has a sleep problem mm. other than apnea. You mm. will see him. Um, but using sleep aid, mm. sleep medication for mm. the correct indication mm. in the correct way mm. is safe. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a message that Mm. we as practitioners need to get across yeah. to our patients. I think it's really important. I think I see lots of patients that have been shamed that they're addicted to sleeping tablets. And doctors said, I'm not writing it up for any more sleeping tablets. Um, and, and I kind of go, that's not, that's not okay. It's actually not okay. Most people are not addicted to sleeping tablets. There's very little literature, research literature, talking about addiction to sleeping tablets. Addiction is a very thing. There's a compulsive, there's a compulsive uh, seeking. There's a loss of, you've got to lose f your family, your job, your kind of thing. That's an addiction, right? You're not even dependent on sleeping tablets because people go, oh, you're dependent. And you go, what do you mean by dependent? Well, if you take them away, this problem comes back. Well, so does hypertension, Exactly. Like it's a chronic disease. It's a chronic disease. Yeah. So if you take away the medication, well, of course the damn thing comes back. Like that's not a surprise and it shouldn't be a surprise. So most people take sleeping tablets just like most people use alcohol, right? So can you get addicted to alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. You absolutely can. Can you get addicted to sleeping tablets? Yeah. Addicts take sleeping tablets. They take 15 still knocks a day. You know, that's an addict. But they're taking it during the day, not at night time to sleep. Yeah, exactly. They and change, they're taking it to alter mood. Exactly. And okay. they're taking it for all the wrong reasons, right? Most people are taking, as you said, half a Stilnox or one Stilnox or one Dormanoct or one whatever they're taking every night, just like most people with the, most people's relationship with alcohol is having a glass of wine at night. Now, you cannot take everyone who has a glass of wine with dinner at night and call okay. them an addict. Yeah. They're not an alcoholic. So it is different. Okay. Well, you know what? Some peewee is lassoing me around the neck now. So, <laughs> um, Alison, if 
people want to know more about sleep or if mm. they think they have um, a sleep disorder, mm. how do we contact you? I know that your your practice has moved from Bryanston now to mm. Parktown. Mm. Um, can you give us the name and the contact number, please? Sure. So it's the Restonic um the Sonic Isintia Sleep Clinic. Isintia, just spell that. So, so Isintia, E-Z-I-N-T-S-H-A. So we've, crea we've created a sleep clinic which is research-orientated, which is clinically orientated, and which is training-orientated so we can train doctors because we don't have training areas for doctors on sleep. Okay, so it's the Rostonic Isintia Sleep, sleep clinic. clinic. Yes. Okay. And, um, but the, if they need to make an appointment to see me, then the, be the best number to phone is 064-166-1710. That's my practice number. The clinic doesn't run my practice, so if that, if that makes sense. But they can find it on the website. So there is a website for it, and there are contact numbers for the clinic there. Um, and um, more information, you know, there's just stuff yeah. on the on the website. Okay. People, patients can also contact mm. us at the T Clinic mm. um, on 010-824-1393 or on our website, www.vtclinic.com. And we will put you in contact with Dr. Um, Allison's clinic. We refer a lot of our patients with phenomenal results. Alison, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come back because at mm. some point we need to talk about treatment and management mm. Of, mm. of sleep and sleep mm. disorders. Uh, it's very important. So I, I will be in contact with you. Thank you for taking your time, uh, time out of your very busy schedule to talk about this incredibly relevant topic. Mm. Um, next week, we'll be back. And as usual, I can never remember what I'm going to talk <laughs> about. So um, it might be a surprise, but you know what, we will let you know. Until such time, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.